welcome to the Fallon Forum, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of at least America, perhaps the universe, I don't know. Anyway, we're here at Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines. And before I welcome Charles Goldman to the program, I want to take a second to thank some of the local businesses that make this program possible. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Also a wonderful catering service. Thanks also to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street. Authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with excellent service. And thanks to Diversity Insurance located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Uh, no appointment needed. Just stop by and get all your insurance needs met under one roof. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage located at 6th and College in Des Moines. They will always uh, give you a accurate diagnosis at a reasonable price. I've been going to Sergeant's for you know, close to 20, 30 years now. Thanks also to Catering by Sid, uh, uh, Chef Sid Cohn. Uh, mixes it up quite a bit. She offers vegan, gluten-free, omnivore, and vegetarian options, and as many of her products as possible are locally sourced, and all of her catering arrangements are custom-made. That's Catering by Sid. Okay, folks, welcome to today's Fallon Forum. Uh, later in the program, we'll be looking at the climate uh, situation in Poland at the uh, COPE conference there. And the twiddling of thumbs continues, especially by the U.S., Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait. Sad, but we'll talk about it. Also, we'll talk about how religious leaders praying at the border were recently arrested. Uh, and not just gently arrested, either. We'll also talk about the largely unnoticed uh, continuation of uh, President Trump stacking the federal courts. We're going to kick off the conversation, though, by talking about how, even though right-wing... Uh, domestic terrorism and hate crimes are rising. It seems like the FBI's focus is to spy on nonviolent <laughs> uh, climate change protesters. And with me to talk about that, Dr. Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. Welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Ed. Yeah, so um, I, I see you're using the new Republican health plan, which is that you go to the same place your car goes to get diagnosed. Yes. I, actually, no, <laughs> It'd be no, cheaper. I, I, no, no. It's, it's, I, I've got a better deal than that. My cat was attacked by another cat recently. Yeah, and we didn't know we didn't see the fang marks on her hind quarters because they were under the fur, right? Right. But when she was limping and getting kind of lethargic, and then started mm -hmm. oozing this blood pus combo, we took her to the vet, and for a very reasonable two hundred bucks, uh, they fixed her up, kept her overnight. So that's where I'm going. That's when you I'm not going to go to Sarge's garage for a mental I'm going to the veterinary <laughs> clinic. You, you lay down on the metal table there. That's right. right. <laughs> they can keep me for a night. They can dope me up. They can do whatever needs to be done. For a couple hundred bucks, I'll do that. Yeah, I mean, we're laughing, but it's, it's, it, it, veterinary care in the United States is one of those weird things. We spend 4 to $5 billion a year on our pets, which exceeds the budget used for medical care in the vast majority of countries in the world at this point. Right. But look at how much we spend on care for human beings. Yes. And, I mean, I, I once went in for an appointment, and uh, they, 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 they should not mess with me. They tried to charge me uh, 1100 bucks for a 25-minute visit mm -hmm. when, when nothing was done other than just to look at me and give me some suggestions. Right. I haggled with the, uh, the head of the uh, hospital over that. They dropped the rate. They dropped the bill to thirty-three bucks. <laughs> right from eleven hundred to thirty-three. How stupid is that? Well, we can we can talk about that a little bit later because we're going to talk about the stacking of the uh, federal district courts with those who would support the recent decision by the judge down in Texas that Obamacare is unconstitutional. Right. Let's save that. Yeah, we'll save we, that. Yeah. We got some. We got some other trouble in River City here with uh, nonviolent, peaceful nonviolent protest uh, becoming. 
seemed, seemed to become a greater concern to the FBI than some of the ridiculous right-wing hate crimes that are well, operating. Well, you know, I think akin to what my brother was talking about a couple of weeks ago about the canonization of the American military and uh, particularly its officers, um, you know, we're in a period where the, especially the left in this country, has a view of the FBI that's not very historical in terms of their, uh, you know, er everything that the Trump administration does against the FBI is tearing down this, you know, inviolate institution. Well, this is the institution that also, of course, spied on nonviolent civil rights protesters in the 1960s. And um, we now know from an article in The Guardian that's making the rounds in various outlets that the um, FBI has been uh, surveying the uh, 350.org, which is Bill McGib McKibben's organization, which has never been implicated in any violent echo terrorism. It's not, it's not right. you know, back. Well, and they're not the only ones. I mean, Green That's Tea's correct. Bold Iowa. Correct. Uh, yeah. There's yeah. A, lot, a lot of non groups who's, who are emphatically committed in principle and in practice to nonviolence who are under surveillance. Well, and, either, and, either by the pipeline company's lackeys or often by the government itself. Correct. And and the story that, that made the rounds this last week involved uh, three people from Fairfield, Iowa, who went up to the protest at the uh, BP refinery in Whiting, Indiana. Right, which we walked by during the Great March for Climate Action. Is, I believe, one of the biggest refineries in the country. Oh, terrific. Yeah. And um, they knew they were going to be arrested up there, and they you know went up there and got on the property and, and made a circle and sang songs and did some symbolic, you know, uh, climate change uh, sort of education. Um, and it turned out that in uh, freedom of information documents that were obtained by The Guardian, uh, which, if, of course, is not a U.S. paper. It's actually a paper from the U.K. Yeah, uh, and, and seems to provide more in-depth coverage of stuff that the corporate media here just completely miss. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if you really want to know what's going on in the United States, listen to BBC Radio. Listen to read the Guardian and you know, read the Economist. Which but, and we, is, and, you know. then there are some other publications that I trust. Truth Out, mm -hmm. uh, The Intercept, correct. Uh, I'm real excited about this new publication, The Correspondent. Yeah, I don't know anything about that one. What is that? Uh, it started. Uh, it started in the Netherlands, but uh, they're doing an, an English version now. That they've been, and they, they don't take any corporate uh, financing. It's all by. It's all member and readership supported. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think I think the sources are out there. But we're going to have to start looking beyond the traditional, uh, you know, tra traditional sources that people have over the, you know, decades been accustomed to, to viewing for news because they're not reliable anymore, and they're not, mm -hmm. they're not, like I said, they're not covering this this issue, right? And, so, and, so and, how, but how do you? I mean, the FBI, their main goal in life is to put people in prison. I mean, that's what they thrive on. Well, I, ideally, bad people. So why are they so lopsided right now? Why are they so basically? Uh, Becoming an arm of some of these corporate interests that that uh, are are afraid of the peaceful, nonviolent activities of people who disagree with their agenda, with their their actions. Yeah, I mean, it's hard it's hard to answer that question as to how they decide on the priority of their investigations. We know that because the Guardian um, made this public uh, three years ago that the FBI's rules mandate that investigations are opened in situations where they have a reasonable expectation that violence or other significant transgressions against the law will be committed. Trespassing on a refinery, not with the intent to sabotage it, 
but simply to make a point is hardly fitting within their rules. And, you know, in the Guardian article, they interviewed a former FBI agent who works now for the Brennan Center for Justice, in which he says this clearly violates the FBI's own rules, exactly the same thing they did in 2015 with a group of uh, protesters in Texas against the Keystone Pipeline. I'm sure doing with the protesters in Nebraska, which has been really the focus of the protest as of late. Well, and, yeah, and, and against and also, the Keystone. Yeah, well, and with Dapo, the focus on North Dakota and to some extent Iowa too. Correct, and I mean, and you had that experience. So, no. and, yeah. and right now we see we see this kind of a confluence of government and corporate influence in uh, in, in Louisiana. Yeah, uh, with the BioBridge pipeline. You know, we, we, we've seen this vast takeover of private land for this private purpose. And uh, largely government's role has been to assist that takeover. And that should appall people on all points of the political spectrum who, who appreciate and respect the traditional value of private property and, 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 and property rights uh, and the importance of local resources of water, land, trees, uh, you know, clean air, the, the importance of those resources to local communities. And, and it seems like right now, for some reason, the government is coming down on the side of the polluters. And even when, even when a court might rule in favor of, uh, of stopping construction, like in Bayou Bridge, they go ahead anyhow. Mm-hmm. They, they, the, <laughs> they, they do it with impunity. And it's appalling. Uh, and it raises lots of questions as to what really is the relationship between uh, energy transfer, for example, and the FBI – and the Trump administration, what's really going on there to allow this uh, basically tromping on any semblance of common good and, and, and even the, 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 uh, the rule of law to go forward without, without being challenged? Well, you know, you risk to some degree sounding like some of the you know, Second Amendment protectors who claim that the real reason for the Second Amendment is to – Protect yourself against a overarching government, but it is true. And well, they, they might, they, I'm not. I'm not sure the the solution is the correct one, but they might have a point about that. Correct. I mean, and, yeah. and these organizations, as you said, were uh, outwardly avowing that they are nonviolent organizations. This isn't this isn't the 90s where they were blowing up Porsche dealerships in California or blowing up you know uh, housing projects up in the mountains. This this was. As it has been for the most part, uh, the climate change protests have been um, to make – to get coverage and to make a point, uh, educational well, and, try, and try to stop the expansion of, uh, of fossil fuel production, transportation, extraction, given what science is saying about how serious our situation is Well, right and, now. and, you know, what happened up obviously, you know, with the, uh, the water protectors you know, up in the Dakotas, that the – Forces that came down violently against them were a mix of contractors and local and state law enforcement up there, you know. And they intermix, and you, it's hard to know who's actually running the show. It's kind of like what we did in Iraq, which is you had contractors running all over the place, you had the American military running all over the place, but really, who? It's not clear who was in charge. Plus, the liability is different for the state forces versus the. Um, these private contractors. No, the mystery continues. Anyway, <laughs> we don't quite know how all the workings uh, happen behind the scenes, but we sure know that it's happening. That while uh, while hate crimes and and acts of domestic terrorism that uh, we would classify as right wing are ignored or treated with treated with kit gloves, uh, 
The government seems to be cracking down on nonviolent protesters. Anyway, we'll, um, I'm sure we'll have a reason to revisit this conversation in the future. In the meantime, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the largely unnoticed and unreported uh, Trump stacking of the federal court system. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Times are tough. And most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149. Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to to New York City when you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Community CPA and Associates with locations in Des Moines and Coralville is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information. Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie and delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining. to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with us and soon uh, joining us uh, for the next segment after this uh, conversation about uh, the federal courts. Uh, Tar Marcius is going to join us. We're going to talk about uh, how faith leaders praying at the border last week were arrested. And some of them, that wasn't really gentle. It wasn't really kind. We'll be back, in a, we'll be back uh, to talk with, about that after a break here. But first, um, 
Okay, so we've talked about this before, Charles, but we're going right. to talk about it again because it's really, really important. It is perhaps the single biggest impact of the Trump administration. The, um, the stacking of the federal courts with really, really extreme judges who are really predictable in terms of how they're going to rule. That's not a good thing to have in your court system. Might we call them activist judges? We might, actually. Right. Uh, <laughs> Which we... was, of course, the expression used by folks on the political right to describe uh, you know, judges who were deemed to be sympathetic with more liberal positions. Correct. And uh, as, as we know, the, um, the Republicans tend to sell their, their judicial choices as uh, originalists and constitutionalists, when, of course, they are equally activist as by their own definition. Um, and let's let's have a little context here because we had one decision last week by Judge O'Connor down in Texas, and we have one coming up this week by a, a federal judge up in New York, both of which have uh, significant significant consequences. What was the, what was the ruling in Texas? Well, first of all, let, let's remember we you know the mass media only concentrates on Supreme Court judges. What they're missing, of course, is the packing of the Court of Appeals below the Supreme Court and now the packing of the district judgeships. And yeah. the decision by Judge O'Connor, which, of course, was a um, a uh, judge who was shopped for specifically for this purpose, was to declare— How do you shop for a judge? Well, because they know that they know this judge and other judges have either already expressed how they would rule or by virtue of previous— uh, you know, rulings would be known to be sympathetic to the Republican uh, attorney generals who brought this case. And um, now Judge O'Connor in Texas is not a Trump appointee. He's actually um, a, a, a George Bush appointee. Right. And he ruled on uh, Friday that the entire Obamacare, the entire ACA was unconstitutional. Now, all of it, all of it, and and his basis of this ruling isn't he a little bit late to the table on this? Well, no, no. His basis <laughs> of the ruling is that since the penalty for not having insurance was not was zeroed out in the 2017 um, tax bill, that it therefore invalidates the entirety of the ACA because it is the linchpin of the ACA. Legal scholars say it's highly unlikely. Even even the conservative court of appeals in New Orleans may throw out his decision as yeah. as legally um, uh, unsupported. But these this is what a district judge can do. Now, second case is up in New York, and it's the case concerning the question about citizenship on the 2020 census. That, in fact, is probably a, a even more important. Yeah, explain decision. explain that one for us. Well, if you remember, the decision was made um, supposedly at the request of the uh, Department of State to put a citizenship, are you a citizen question, into the 2020 census. Um, it turned out, of course, that was a total lie. It was at the request of the of Wilbur Ross, uh, who is not a member of the Department of State. And it, in fact, didn't come from anyone but Wilbur Ross, as the emails show. And what this is about is to suppress the number of uh, non-citizens or citizens but of origin outside the country who will answer the census at all. That will allow uh, the areas in which you – know, That's clever. That's it, a, you you got to give them points for clever terms. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, and the idea there is suppress – 
well, it's the, a, it's the a, number it's of a, Hispanics, for the most part, that are going to answer the census. Sure, and it's a new strategy for voter suppression. Well, it's not just voter suppression. I, this is the irony. Well, yeah. This is the irony of the argument. The argument actually has been that what it'll do is it'll undercut cities, which are mostly sure, on the, the coast. Because a lot of the funding comes from comes based, based on, based on, on what the population exactly, is, right, as right. well as the number of representatives you have in the right, right. in in the. Uh, House of Representatives, the Federal House of Representatives, and it determines how much money goes to the states from the federal government. Um, and in, in point of fact, the government, which is defending themselves in this, have argued before this judge that they know it will suppress yeah. the so, so, number of people answer. So bottom line is people don't realize, and, and again, part of the problem is the it's, 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 not a, it's not a sexy enough issue for the mainstream media to dig their teeth into, but... It is probably the single biggest impact that the Trump presidency will have on our democracy for decades to come. Well, c- correct. And, and actually, the Democrats set this up. How so? Because they were the ones who got rid of the 60-vote requirement oh, for in the these Senate. appointments right, in right. the Senate. <laughs> and you know, the- Mitch McConnell basically <laughs> said, you know, Harry Reid, you lose. Because yeah. when the Republicans took control and... Uh, and, of course, they got rid of it for the Supreme Court judge, and, and the Democrats left it in place only for the Supreme Court judges. And so they're paying the price. Now, well, um, we're paying the price. We're paying the price. I so, mean, that, that's partisan politics, and it, it never works out well for the guy, the little guy and the gal. Right. And let's not forget that um, the, recently, you know, Governor Reynolds here in Iowa said that she was, quote, open to changing the way the Supreme Court justices are chosen here in Iowa, which is using a, a, a plan known as the Missouri Plan done about 30 states and that's to 30 get, states do it I didn't, yeah, realize that. I didn't realize there was that many people either until i looked it up but now but see now that we know it's called the missouri plan a lot of iowans will be against it <laughs> exactly <laughs> no but the important thing is is that some of these uh, you know we, we we know about some of the previous district judge appointments that had to be withdrawn including uh you know i can't remember the person's name who couldn't answer like the most basic legal question had never argued a case in court yeah. and there were a couple recently that tim scott of south carolina a Republican senator from South Carolina actually forced them to take down because the racial, the racist comments from the past were even too much for him. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, in spite of that coming out, his fellow Republicans said that they had, he had slandered these good men. Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, the best thing we can do is to bring attention to the fact that these appointments are happening quickly uh, and often uh, involve judges whose Backgrounds are really questionable. Some cases they don't have a lot of uh, legal uh, experience, and in some cases their their public statements are so biased that you you pretty much know how they're going to vote, and it's and it's, it's not going to it's not going to give the the folks bringing the case to the court a fair hearing. And that's that's I think what's the most important takeaway from this. Hey, we're going to take a short break, folks. Uh, when we come back, uh, Tara Marcias is going to join us. We're going to talk about what transpired at the U.S. border. Last week, when about a thousand clergy and religious leaders showed up, it was not pretty. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Uh, later in the program, we'll talk about the, the uh, climate conference in Poland, such as it is. I do want to take a second to thank, uh, again, some of our local business partners here in the uh, Des Moines metro. Uh, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th, 
authentic Mexican food at excellent prices with really high-quality service, a great place. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All your insurance needs met under one roof. Stop by, no appointment needed. That's Diversity Insurance. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant in the East Village of Des Moines, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has spent 30 years working on critters large and small at Story County Veterinary Clinic. And finally, thanks to Community CPA and Associates with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Give Ying Sa a call for all of your tax and accounting needs. That's Community CPA. All right, so uh, we're happy to have uh, Tar Marcias join us in the studio today. Hello, Tar. Hello, Ed. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, Charles Goldman and I are going to grill him here. Um, <laughs> hardly. Uh, I think we have a common concern about what has been transpiring at the U.S. border. And um, the conflict there was brought into sharp perspective this past week when a thousand religious leaders and clergy uh, organized a peaceful protest. Uh, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd even call it a protest, perhaps, but a peaceful presence at the border. And uh, I think a close, a close to 100, I believe, were arrested. I think it was uh, less than that. I think the actual number was 32. Okay. Or the ones that were arrested. And, um, and there were clergy from, from all aspects, all the spectrum of the religious spectrum. And everybody with the, with the same uh, message that, that we, we should be uh, uh, more human when addressing, you know, these issues of immigration. Yeah, so, again, you look at some of the video footage from what happened, and it's, uh, it's troubling because you have security guards who are dressed with uh, basically riot gear on, confronting very, very peaceful, nonviolent folks who are in prayer, uh, some of them kneeling, and, um, and then being, in some cases, violently thrown to the ground. Yes, I, I think that's scary, and that, that's speaking volumes nowadays. Nowadays, you know that uh, people don't realize the damage that's doing for, for, uh, for our image of the United States. You know, across uh, the world, everybody's looking at us now. With social media, everybody can see that you know right away, and they're seeing how we're treating people who are just kneeling, praying, and we we're uh, arresting them and attacking them with people on riot gear. Yeah, and I I have not been following the international response, but I can't imagine we're looking too good in terms of how we're handling this. Correct. And I think at one point, that's why everybody wanted to come to the United States, because it, it was the, the standard. You know, it was the, the, the place where you think, you know, welcome. you're going to be free. Right. You're welcome. Where freedom no. reigns. And when they see these images, you know, then, then people uh, are started really second-guessing. Really, America is the, the best place in the world. And one, as one of the uh, religious leaders made clear during uh, one of the uh, statements that was made, then recorded, we're not saying that people uh, should just rush into the country with any with total disregard for our laws and our process, but the process is not working. When you have thousands of people, you know, piled up in in camps where the conditions are unsanitary and the food and water are meager, uh, and and you and, and and the and the option is to have an asylum asylum process, a process of applying for asylum. That works efficiently, and we don't have that. And we could do that, but instead we send, you know, thousands of troops to the border in, in, in riot gear and cracking down on people who are there to pray and to try to encourage a more reasonable approach to the challenge. Correct. And, and, that, and that just shows you that, you know, 
uh, our system is broken, and it's been broken for many decades. And now, uh, but now instead of trying to fix it, we're going backwards. <laughs> we're making it even worse. And and for for people all over the world to know that we're putting kids in cages. And one of those kids, you know, died, seven-year-old yeah, died last, know, last, last week, week yeah. you know, on, on one of those cages, one of those, you know, uh, prisons. That that's, that's very low. And anybody that really wants to take a political side on it, you know, um, I don't think it's about politics anymore. I think it's more about the moral. It's about our morals and who we are as, a, as, a, as the people of this country. Well, but, but it is a hugely political issue because it's really the only one that the president has left to which he can default to whenever he wants to rile up his base. Or shut down the government. Right. The real question then becomes if, you know, we need to engage in politics. And politics, to some degree, is about trading, you know, holding your nose and trading things. And maybe it's worth... Compromise. Right. And yeah. maybe it's worth the Democrats trading $1.5 billion for his pseudo wall for DACA and for, you know, getting the asylum policy back to what the law is. I don't think that would be a good trade myself. What about you, Tar? Well, let me play a little devil's advocate. I think okay. a lot of times, like you mentioned, it's political. Mm -hmm. And it gets political, and you say we need to get political. But really, when you are ask the people who are being affected by it, the people who are being in the prisons, the people who are close to, to them on that, you know, it's not... A, about politics for them. No, I understand yeah. that, but, yeah. but something needs to be done, and we don't have an administration whose incentive is to get something done. It's basically to just sit there and yell and scream about we're being invaded and by infested by people coming across the border. And it's working for them, and, and it's worse for their base. So right. they're going to keep doing it, and then the other side is going to also keep... keep uh, um, Doing, doing, uh, uh, attacking them instead of really trying to find some common solutions on this. The people who are going to be there, these kids who are being in, in, in prison for months now, mm -hmm. they're going to keep being in prison. And this is going to be part of our, our American history. There's no way we're going to get rid of this because it's really going to tell us how uh, we were in this age and era, that we didn't care that put little kids. I, I, I wish, I truly wish that were true, but we've managed to you know, cleanse our history of the genocide of the Native Americans. We've also cleansed it of the internment of the Japanese, you know, during World War II. I'm sure we'll find a way to continue to push American exceptionalism whilst this is going on at the border. Cynic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, to some extent, the, the, you can run away from those problems, those challenges, those bad chapters of history, but at some point they come back. And right now, for example, when you, you mentioned uh, the attempted genocide of the indigenous, indigenous population in this continent, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that, that whole conversation has come back with a force. And, uh, and we're seeing, like never before, a revival of the you know, wisdom, the culture, the perspective of the Native communities, and along with that, a recognition of what's happened. And one, one example of that, Columbus Day. You know, there's a movement away from calling it Columbus Day, and there's a really good reason why that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And instead to refer to it as Indigenous Peoples Day with an entirely different perspective. Well, so, but I think we get back to the same question. How do we move forward from here? Because there's nothing that, as far as this administration uh, is concerned, is advantageous to make this problem go away. Yeah. Correct. I, I don't think with, them, with this administration, I don't think it's a moving forward on this. I think it works so good for them. They're going to keep exploiting the situation. It's making a lot of money for a lot of uh, um, 
um, interest, you know, who are friends of this administration. So, so who, who are you thinking of in particular? Uh, oh, I'm thinking in particular the uh, company that they hired to imprison all the uh, immigrants mm-hmm. now, and they all, all the billions of dollars that they're getting on contracts for the government. And, uh, and in return, they're big supporters of, of the current administration, you know, financially and, and uh, in any, any other way. So, therefore, there's a big conflict of interest that a lot of people do not talk about it, and, and, uh, and the victims are people being put in cage. Yeah, and, and let's be clear, that's true also for the record number of Americans who are in American prisons uh, for the same reason, because it's become an industry with which yeah. these companies are guaranteed a certain occupancy rate. <laughs> Yeah. Correct. And yeah. and I and I think a solution is to get away from that for profit, you know, uh, incarceration. Right. And uh, because it certainly is not working. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, back to your suggestion, Charles. That uh, again, I understand compromise is always needed in politics. You've got to find a way to you know get something done. That often means giving up something you like. But I, you know, my feeling is conceding on the wall would be way more than Democrats. Should should offer. That's, I mean, I mean, again, that's like the court system. If we if we let Trump build that wall, that's going to be there for a long okay, time. Okay. Well, first of all, they've only built thirty miles of wall. It's mostly fencing, and it's cost them over seven hundred fifty million dollars. One point five. I wish billion, I, I wish I owned that fencing yeah, company. One point five billion dollars will will buy them perhaps another sixty miles of fencing. This this the border is fifteen hundred miles long. So I understand that the way it's being presented on MSNBC and CNN and all the others, it's, it would seem like a bad deal. But if you could get a deal on DACA as well as the, getting them to go back to the asylum policies that they are supposed to be following, I think you could point to that. Because there's no way through Congress that you're going to get this fixed because nothing, will, anything that you get out of the House will die in the Senate. Even though the Senate has been casting some pretty interesting and much more progressive votes this past week and a half. Which ones are you thinking? Oh, you mean because of the... Uh, the sentencing, the federal sentencing. Yeah, that, that one, yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of a no-brainer. And, and most prisoners <laughs> in this country are not in federal prisons. You know, immigration reform should also be a no-brainer. <laughs> well, immigration reform was a no-brainer. If you remember, when the House was controlled by Democrats, they did put out a comprehensive bill, yeah. which went nowhere. Yeah. A bipartisan comprehensive That's correct. That, that, that was led by uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi. No, and actually yeah. McCain and, and, uh, and, uh, and Kennedy. And attacked ruthlessly on the airways by Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and, and Glenn Beck and right. others. Angry white men. Yeah, anger by talk show hosts. <laughs> what, what it is on immigration, when we go back to immigration, is it, one of those divisive uh, uh, issues that really is for both sides, the Democrats and Republicans, is on their best interest to keep it alive, to keep it going. To, if they solve it, they don't have nothing to bicker about. You know, yeah, and like abortion. Is, is exactly. Yeah. Well, they always have abortion to bicker about, so they, they could make immigration <laughs> go away. You <laughs> can always count on that, right? But, but basically, I, I think it's about uh, the, the base of this. Why, why is this an issue that nobody wants to solve? Uh, and, and I do believe uh, because uh, the color of the people who, who are being the victims here has a lot to do with this, mm-hmm. and uh, because if it was something that was, that was affecting a, a different population, more open that they're more uh, more similar to what we are here, then we will be more open to solving that problem. Uh, and and I think uh, we need to realize that we build this 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 country on on trying to to on dividing the people by by ethnicity, you know, or by race. Yeah. Hey, Tar, thanks uh, so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to dialogue with us. Um, 
and hope to have you back sometime soon. Oh, thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. All right. Folks, when we come back from a short break here, we're going to talk about the situation with the climate conference in Poland. Uh, not going real well. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Times are tough. And most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149. Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms, and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York, and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to to New York City. When you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Community CPA and Associates with locations in Des Moines and Coralville is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information. Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie and delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining. Fallon with you here, folks. Uh, Charles Goldman and I are now looking at the uh, situation in Poland. Um, I know you wish you could have been there, Charles. Yeah, absolutely. President Trump wishes you could have been there as well. Yeah. Um, Some of the analysis says that, you know, the U.S. really embarrassed itself there. Uh, Using a conference on how to move forward with global agreement on climate change to promote coal 
Right, it wasn't most and, of the American and, and delegation. And fracking of gas. Yeah, th- didn't they spend most of their time at some uh, ex- exhibit from the well, uh, coal companies there? You know, from what I'm hearing, the, the folks who were there who really, you know, the folks representing some element of the U.S. government who really care about climate change were there to try to try to try to make a bad situation as as good as possible right but the the the, the real official emissaries from the white house and the trump administration were there to promote promote coal and fracking and they got booed they got protested as they mm-hmm. should have um and you know you think that there would be some recognition of the problem when your your allies are russia and saudi arabia and kuwait and Kuwait, that's who you're siding, siding with. Right. <laughs> you know, when, when it comes to trying to stonewall this kind I mean, one example was the, um, the, uh, the IPCC report on how, how imperative it is that we act now. I mean, it's, I heard it described as basically the, the asteroid, we've, we've had our last warning that the asteroid is going to hit the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, right. the climate change asteroid at this point. And now we're discuss- discussing. And Bruce Willis is getting old to save us from that. Yeah, and now we're discussing whether or not it's um, it's uh, we should accept this report as um, uh, as as uh, we should welcome the report or just note it. Right. Uh, well, they basically noted, noted it. it. They, they did, noted well, they did because because of resistance from Russia, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait. Right. The bastions of democracy, freedom, and and, and solid scientific thinking. Mm-hmm. Some say that still the conference was at least a success because it moved us toward um, a more unified approach to monitoring greenhouse gas emissions and progress toward reigning in climate change. Right. They did, they did get the rule book together as to how they're going to go forward um, and also how they're going to count certain resources as uh, carbon sequestering such as uh, you know, forest land, which was a, a sop to uh, Brazil, which obviously still has a huge amount of rainforest. Yeah. Although, yeah, and unfortunately, we, we, it's not, we, don't, we don't see the rise of right-wing populists just in the U.S. I mean, we're seeing resistance from Brazil, mm-hmm. from Australia. No, um, Poland, too. Poland's got right-wing populism yeah. rising. I, I, I think that's a good point, Ed, which is, is you know, Americans need to understand that this is not going on in isolation. Right. You're seeing it in Germany. You're seeing it Germany, in Germany. No, no, that, that, I've missed that. What's happening in Germany? Well, no, you're having the rise again of, of, of oh, ultra, sure, but it's ultra not, it's, right-wing parties. But they're not, Merkel, they're not had to, Merkel had to step back on how many refugees <clears throat> they would take into Germany. Right, but they were taking a million in from well, Syria correct. alone. <laughs> I understand that. But, I, but this, is, this is what's going on because there is a, a nucleus of people who look ahead and they don't know where their work is going to come from in the future. And they're given an easy target to blame, mm. which is immigrants, but the real target is the robots. I mean, we, to some, some sense, they're like the Luddites, smashing the machines in the factories. The inexorable march of robots into manufacturing is making people look ahead and say, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to take care of my family? Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, with the help of robots, we'll have more leisure time. Well, and that we can, would be And, and there's going to be more talk show hosts that's out true. there. That, we will have more leisure time, <laughs> and, and that's frightening to some people. Well, it is, yeah. Anyway, uh, Poland, um, I think more, more analysis is needed as to what exactly transpired. I think, again, some progress, but it's embarrassing to see how, how the U.S. tried to derail the conversation and, and – and, uh, and basically siding with the people who are the least uh, uh, least friendly in terms of policies on climate. Anyway, Charles, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Folks, if you're listening on our community-owned stations, we'll be back with additional conversation 
after the official ending of the program here. Again, we broadcast live every Monday at 11 o'clock Central Time from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. This is Ed Fallon, your host, thanking you for joining today's Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, Ed Fallon with you, and Dr. Charles Goldman back. Can't, can't seem to get rid of this guy. But, uh, it's our, our last show of the year. The last show of the year, last show of 2018. And I, I'm glad you're here because um, the, uh, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, also lovingly known as Obamacare, uh, has um, seen some continued court challenges in recent days. And I think I mean, a lot of folks are wondering, well, what should I do? Again, I... Unless something, unless I've missed something, you're no longer required to have health insurance. That's correct. That that's gone. Right. Uh, we're, we're still filing the forms. In fact, people will see when they do their taxes this year that you'll still have to send the form in to prove having health insurance. But essentially, the penalty was zeroed out by the 2017 right. tax bill. And I, you know, honestly, I thought that made sense. I I, I didn't understand. The um, the logic behind making that a, a mandatory uh, mandatory expense is it, I you know I understand why for for a car you know why it's important that you have insurance. Mm-hmm. This seems to be an entirely personal decision, and I I never I understand why it made sense in terms of funding the ACA, but in terms of the uh, the, the philosophical underpinnings of the decision seemed flawed to me, and I. I understand the rejection of it by the court. I also understand how it complicates the whole thing. Well, but the, but the court didn't reject it. It, it said that basically the, the zeroing out made it uh, a moot point and that the entire ACA structure rests on this penalty. This is, oh, the, ar- yeah, this yeah. is the argument that was made by the yeah, district and that, judge that, that, that in, I'm, that I'm in not Texas. so confident about. No, and, yeah. and in fact, uh, numerous legal scholars have said uh, particularly given that it was the Roberts Courts, the five people who voted to uh, consider the uh, imposing of the penalty within the taxing authority of Congress are still on the court. Because remember, Justice Chief Justice Roberts voted with the usual four liberals on the court to keep uh, the ACA intact in 2010. And of course, was was uh, castigated by his you know, followers on the right as because uh, they thought for sure it was in the bag. Right. Um, right. But, I, you know, here again, let's get away from the from the politics of it and ask a question here. This is just like we were talking about in the show the, that our legislators and our executive branch are doing nothing to solve the immigration problem because everybody is making political hay. They're not doing anything to solve the health care problem in this country. Right. And the ACA didn't solve the health care problem in this country. It did, in fact, extend coverage to uh, more people, but it did that at the cost of the federal government essentially paying the private health insurers who then well, yeah, the, used the, the money for paying their shareholders yeah, themselves. Yeah, the, the insurance companies love the ACA. In the same way they, they, they grow to love Medicare. Medicare took high-risk patients off of their roles. Right. It's further, and it's further entrenched the uh, insurance-based and employment-based health care system, which um, – you know, it's unique in the world, and there's a reason for that. It doesn't work real well. It doesn't. 
I mean, the, the funding of American health care is – and that that's the thing here. I mean, we're not dealing with any of our truly vexing problems in any way because all this is – it's all about playing to the cameras, giving simplistic explanations for what the problem is, and nobody ever legislating or doing something, you know, beyond what they think is going to work well with their 40 percent of the American populace. Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, uh, during the whole health care debate years ago when the ACA was being discussed um, – a, uh, there was there was quite a lot of attention paid to the proposal for a uh, a public option. Right. Uh, I remember Howard Dean talking very ambitiously about that. Right. And uh, you know there, a, a lot of folks really believe that was a good a good way to go. Uh, and of course that whole conversation has morphed into the importance of Medicaid for all. And uh, and yet we're no closer to that. <laughs> and neither the court rulings nor. Uh, anything the Republican Congress has done has moved us any closer. And, of course, they, they're not, they're not going to want to move in that direction. The insurance companies would would fight that tooth and nail. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is that the president came out and said, well, this is great. Of course, a, a brilliant decision by a brilliant jurist is what he you know, sort of said. Um, and then he said, we're going to have a whole new bill. Well, they tried that already. They spent the first two years of his administration with a whole new bill and it never got done. It failed. Right. Well, right. of course, he blames John McCain. You know, the late John McCain for that because, you know, he voted against it in the Senate. But that's the issue, which is there are so many things that need to be done, and there needs to be a dispassionate discussion of how much this will cost. As it turns out, single care, a, 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 a single source payer for health care in this country may not cost any more money than we're already spending. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't in other countries. Well, that's we, correct. We spend more than any other country on health care. Without the quality of care going up. Now, I mean, there is, there's an intermediate step where you simply turn around and say that you these health care companies are going to become regulated utilities, just like the utilities, the electrical utilities are. They still remain privately owned or, or publicly owned companies. but And basically monopolies. Right. I mean, for example, here in, in Iowa, we have a, we have a health care monopoly, a health insurance monopoly. In, that's it's called, it's called Walmart. It's Blue, called Walmart. Yeah, right. they, they can they, they control about the eighty percent of the plans. That's correct. Yeah, and and because of the way the pricing is done on Medicare, Walmart is able to keep costs down, how much they're paying out down, because they simply pay a multiple of Medicare, and it, it, you know the Medicare payment rates in Iowa are the second lowest in the country, not just because the standard of living, but because quality of care is higher. Therefore, you get penalized right. for quality of care being higher. Yeah. Which means you use less money, and 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 therefore you get paid less. So the the system is ridiculous. It it it, it doesn't work, and it's never going to be addressed in any substantive way. If we continue, our, our political system can't address any problem at this point in any substantive way. So and, and you're and you're a physician. You're a cancer surgeon. You you're on the front lines of this. Um, what would what what you and you may be an exception within your profession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what do you what would you say the the rest of the medical universe, uh, doctors in particular, are, are, are how are they feeling about the ACA and about the option of a single-payer system or Medicaid for all? I, I think doctors who are conservatives tend to hew to what conservatives think, you know, which it's the marketplace. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's not going real well for doctors. No. So, the, so how, the, how, the, burnout, how, the burnout rate is huge. But, see, they blame – they tend to blame the government <clears> for that. You know, really? they blame yeah they blame Medicare. Well, why, why, why blame the government? They can blame immigrants, you know. Or no, they well, fortunately, <laughs> physicians kidding, of course, physicians don't blame immigrants. Right, but um, <laughs> good. 
No, I mean, the problem is is that the going to single payer is such a huge step and would clearly drive down compensation for physicians that you can't do that as your first step. The problem being that the debt that, that people are incurring to get through medical school and residency at this point is in the $300,000, $400,000 range. And you can't just say to those people, hey, tough luck, we changed the system. Unless you're willing to pay off the debt of these people who are doing this, you know, who are putting off really being able to make any money into their 30s, um, you're going to need an intermediate step. An intermediate step would right. be to tell the health insurers, you're not going to make 20% on the dollar anymore. You're going to make 5% on the dollar tops. You know, the, the weird thing is, is that utilities have huge equipment costs that they have to, they have to maintain the equipment. They have to go, you know, put the windmills up. They have to go maintain them. They have actual costs. What is the cost of Wellmark that they get a 20% return on their money? They don't have any. They have a nice new building. They have no anymore. fixed cost. They have a nice new building. That's it. Oh, but wait a minute. That building was paid largely by taxpayers. Never mind. Sorry. Right. You know, <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense why the health insurers, <clears throat> well, we know, of course it makes sense. The health insurers are one of the biggest lobbies, except for the pharmaceutical companies, in terms of how much they pay our mm. lawmakers. You know, um, someone once suggested it'd be a great idea that the lawmakers, instead of wearing suits, should wear those like jackets like the uh, NASCAR people, <laughs> right, right, you know, right, NASCAR right. guys and women wear, and, sponsors, and have your corporate yeah. sponsors just all over your your, your NASCAR <laughs> jacket, and that way we know why they're voting the way they're voting. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't I don't see how this is a winning philosophy, because do the Republicans really want to take coverage for pre-existing conditions away? Well, and it's this, such a loser and, and for that. And the court ruling in Texas would do that. Well, because it, it, yeah. because that's if all part and parcel of the ACA. Yeah, that's if it's upheld. Correct. That's correct. Yeah, that's that's bad politics. It's not good policy either, and it's bad politics. Well, what's crazy is you get you get people who are harmed by the fact that they don't have health insurance, and are harmed by the fact that they're not covered pre-existing conditions, voting for Republicans for other reasons, which increasingly comes down to, well, he's going to keep the immigrants out of the country. <laughs> So, really, so to, how does that help to, to you? To my point earlier, yes, right. anyway. How does that help you personally? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think right now probably this court case, uh, this court ruling by the district, the federal district judge in Texas, is. I, I see that going a different way under appeal, don't you? Yes, I okay. think I think most people do. And, and interestingly, so, you know, Roberts and, and Kavanaugh just voted with Planned Parenthood. Yeah, so this puts us back to status quo, which is, again, an unsustainable, unworkable system that – Desperate needs to be fixed, but because of all the money in politics from pharmaceutical companies, from other elements of the medical industrial complex, we're not going to see that until more people wake up to the reality that uh, this system is broken uh, and it's not going to be fixed until the people who um, are most affected by it wake up and see what's happening. Right, until it becomes their predominant issue, which apparently in 2018, given the Democratic messaging, it was a predominant issue for people. Yeah, you, you would think that might have, the, the, some of the elections might have turned out differently because of that, but no. <laughs> anyway, four years ago in the early part of the winter of 2013-2014, our core group of organizers for the Great March for Climate Action were hard at work preparing for this incredible eight-month, 3,000-mile walk to raise awareness about climate action. We, we called ourselves the Paul Revere's of the climate movement, trying to wake America up to the urgency of the climate crisis. And you know, yeah, we really need to stop calling it climate change. We're beyond that now. It's a crisis. It's climate disruption. It's climate chaos. And we started talking about it that way back in 2014. And if it was true then, it's even truer now. But 
There were some interesting things that happened that winter in preparing for the march. On a personal level, I was hoping to try to walk every step of the way. And so uh, I was training hard. I was trying to put in 30, 35 miles a week walking. And we had, uh, unlike this winter where there is not a drop of snow, and uh, even though the ground has had some, some, some uh, freezing, it's pretty sloppy out there. It's, uh, it's, it's not a, quote, normal Iowa winter. But 2013-14 was, and it was quite slippery, quite cold, a lot of snow. And so I was training in the Skywalk. I, you know, this, we have an amazing Skywalk in Des Moines. You can actually walk about four miles uh, in a big loop around the Skywalk. And I would do that loop, you know, one, two, sometimes three times. I got to know the Skywalk really, really well. But, um, you know, the, the, the origin, I, I want to I read a little bit from my book to kind of give you a sense of the origin of, of the march. Because I, you know, I became aware of just how crucial the climate situation was back in 2007 when uh, Bill McKibben uh, came to Iowa State University. And he, um, he talked about, uh, about climate change. Uh, I remember a quote that was later, later uh, mentioned in the uh, story that appeared in the local newspaper, where McKibben says, quote, Americans will be happier if they return to the 1950s lifestyle of eating together as a family, talking with neighbors, and carpooling to work. So I'll read from my book at this point. Consistent with his call to simplicity, McKibben joined a group of, of us afterward for chili and cornbread. We sat on stark benches under dim lights at a long table in one of the campus dining rooms. I guess you could say it was very 1950s, but my mind got stuck on the dining scene from Oliver. I have no stomach for self-absorbed celebrities, and I have met plenty. Uh, Joe Biden came to mind as I sat across from McKibben. Biden had called to seek my endorsement in his campaign for president in 2006, the year I ran for governor in Iowa. As we settled in for a beer and a game of pool, Joe asked about my campaign. Twenty seconds into my response, Joe jumped in, and for the next hour, the conversation was all about him. Nice guy. Captivating stories. Lousy listener. Biden won the game of pool, but lost my vote. I can't speak to Bill McKibben's pool game, but when it came to conversation, he was the opposite of Biden. He was down-to-earth and unpretentious. As we blew on spoonfuls of hot chili and corralled wayward crumbs of cornbread, Bill mostly listened and asked questions. He was genuinely interested in what students were up to and curious about my campaign for governor. I told him it had been edgy, quirky, cobbled together. We didn't pay a penny for our campaign headquarters, an unused house in Des Moines' inner city. Well, not completely unused. The house was infested with possums who were outed one day by a campaign worker's shriek as a furry head appeared in the heating vent. Over the course of the next week, three possum squatters were captured, evicted, and relocated to more upscale digs on the rustic fringe of suburbia. On election day, June 6, 2006, or 666 for what that's worth, I finished a respectable third place crediting the campaign's strong performance to its grassroots nature, solid support among suburban possums, and firm positions on controversial issues. I had talked about money and politics, economic justice, marriage equality, and climate change. Climate change isn't an issue, Bill McKibben interrupted. 
without any haughtiness or condescension. What? I responded. You're the climate change guy. How can you say climate change isn't an issue? It's not an issue, Bill said. It's a crisis. That caught me off guard. I thought about it a lot during the ride home. Over the next few days, as I read more about climate change, the truth of McKibben's words weighed heavier and heavier upon me. Humanity was indeed facing a crisis like none other in history. A world of hurt was coming our way, and if we continued a lifestyle powered by fossil fuels, Earth could be rendered uninhabitable for our species and most others. I began to prioritize climate action in my work, but struggled for a long time with what big contribution I was called to make. Unexpectedly, one blustery day in February 2013, it came to me. Why not a march? In that moment, the Great March for Climate Action was born. The vision was for a thousand people to walk 3,000 miles across America. Our commitment and sacrifice would draw others into conversations about climate change. We would be, as I said earlier, the Paul Revere's of the movement, sounding the alarm and inspiring tens of thousands of people to take action. I started raising money, writing press releases, putting together the outline of a plan. The vision needed structure and discipline. I hired Sherry Herdina, an exceptionally gifted tactician who enjoys all the aspects of organizing I despise. Forms, spreadsheets, and paperwork make me apoplectic. They make Sherry giddy. Our destination was clear. Washington, D.C., where ultimately the most far-reaching decisions about climate change would be made. But the starting point was negotiable. Somewhere on the West Coast between Canada and Mexico. I spent weeks poring over maps, studying terrain and elevation, analyzing weather charts, and talking with local authorities up and down the West Coast. The most enthusiastic supporters stepped forward in San Francisco and convinced us that the Golden Gate Bridge should be our iconic starting point. As we plotted our path upward through the Sierra Nevada in late winter and early spring, the words Donner Party kept coming up in conversation. The Donner Party, of course, was the unfortunate band of settlers who, trapped in the Sierra Nevada in the winter of 1846-47, survived by dining on the party's less fortunate members. Further analysis of weather trends, conversations with locals, and a proliferation of uncomfortable jokes about marchers eating marchers compelled us to abandon what had been no small piece of work and seek a more southerly route. After another round of deliberations, I settled on Los Angeles, which made so much sense for so many reasons. Los Angeles had been the starting point of the Great Peace March. Southern California was normally comfortable and dry in early March, and beginning there would keep us in the desert and south of the Rockies until warmer weather. With our start and end points determined, everything in between was up for grabs. Everything except Nebraska. Of all the places in the country threatened by the aggressive build-out of fossil fuel infrastructure, central Nebraska was ground zero in the battle to stop TransCanada's Keystone XL pipeline. In 10 of 11 states we would walk through, the main event would be a rally or march in a large city. In Nebraska, the main event would be a rally in a cornfield at the point where the march crossed the proposed path of the Keystone pipeline in the heart of the Sandhills. That's a reading from the second chapter of my book, Marcher Walker Pilgrim, which was just released uh, earlier this month. And uh, 
has already gotten some good reviews and, of course, a couple critical reviews as well. It's a very, very personal story about a very incredible adventure. But, of course, the crux of the whole conversation centers on the fact that we have an urgent re responsibility laid before us, and that is to address the climate crisis before it gets any worse. And it is going to get worse. Even if we did all the right stuff today, it would still get worse. And that's, again, why it is absolutely imperative that we do everything we can as soon as possible. So if you're interested in my book, folks, I hope you'll uh, pick up a copy of it. You can do that on the Bold Iowa website, boldiowa.com. Make sure it's .com, not .org, boldiowa.com. And you'll learn a little bit more about the book, some of the endorsements that have come down. Uh, there are some photographs and a way, to, a way to go ahead and get a copy of the book. Anyway, thanks, folks, for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. As always, we're live Mondays at 11 o'clock Central Time, and you can hear the show as a podcast on the Fallon Forum website, also rebroadcast on stations around Iowa and across the country.